What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And in the studio with us today is Panos Anagnostu. Thank you, guys. You Just even got the surname right, which is very impressive. It only took three practices before. <laughs> I'm <so>. very, very <laughs> impressed. Thank you. <laughs> so, Panos, you are out here today. We're at the Gabino Makanova seminar. Yep. And we said yesterday, hey, come and do a podcast with us. I'm very honoured and appreciate a lot. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, really appreciate you coming in, mate. It's always nice to have someone different to talk to. And what we're going to do is we're going to share a little bit of your history, how you got involved, which is fundamentally what the canine paradigm is all about. It's finding out about people in our neighbourhood, awesome. not just our neighbourhood. Our industry. Our industry. So we want to talk to people locally and abroad as well. I was thinking about talking to Gabina, but her and her son, Patrick, have been... <laughs> Pretty much getting smashed. And uh, she doesn't speak English. So and she doesn't speak a word. She hardly speaks a word of English and Patrick interprets everything she said. And to be fair to her, she was doing a, a seminar on the Gold Coast, flew straight here, did a seminar here and is going to fly straight to Adelaide. So on my, uh, just on my opinion, I think it's a bit harsh to ask her to come out and, and then Patrick to come and interpret everything they do. So they've just finished a big seminar. But... You're an interesting character. Jumping into the hot seat. Jumping into the hot seat. You Thank come you. to the seminar. You've been to quite a few things that we've hosted and we have a history together, you and I, not sexually, but, well, yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> the night is young. <laughs> That's only a couple of beers away. Well, where, where are they? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to pull this cart back on the rails. Uh, so, first of all, your business, what, what's the name? Nooch's Pooches. I like it. Thank I love you. that. I've, ever since I first saw it, I thought, what a cool name. Your nickname is Nooch. It is Nooch. Tell us about that. We want to learn about how you got the nickname Nooch because I don't even know that story. Well, I used to work at Ramwick Racecourse and my full name is Panayoti. My boss wanted to make fun of me, so he called me Panucci. And then Panucci became Panooch and became Nooch. Everyone thought it was hilarious. It just became my name. And some of my mates from outside of work hung out with my workmates. Then Nooch just became the word. And then eventually, when I, well, I guess we'll get into the story of working with dogs, you know, Nooch walks the pooch and... Perfect. Yeah, there it is. It was destiny, mate. It was. I think fate sometimes seals the deal for you, doesn't it? 100%. Mm. And your day-to-day now, what does Nooch's Pooches do? So we do um, in-home dog training for people, um, for their puppies, obedience training and behavioural issues. Mm-hmm. We also do dog minding, dog walking and... We also now um, take dogs to people's weddings and help cool. the photographer take good photos and make sure, you know, our best friends are at our wedding. So it's, it's a real cool gig, yeah. That is a cool gig. And you're based in the eastern suburbs, right? So I live in Monterey, which is near Cogra or Brighton, so uh-huh. south. But yeah, I go all around like Sutherland Shire, St. George area, inner west, east. So, right. Yeah. Cool. So you used to work at Ramwick Christ Course. I did. What did you do there? I was a groundsman, so I'd look after the tracks and help, you know, cut the grass and whip a snip. And then I went to the gardens and worked with the horticulturist. 
Nice. Yeah, it was really cool. I liked it. That's a far cry from being a dog trainer. I know, right? so how tell, crazy. Us, tell us about that. How did that come about? Well, the story all began, well, basically just before I finished school. I was 17. Um, I got jumped. I got stabbed. got stabbed into the kidney. No shit. Yeah, it was pretty crazy stuff. Well, um, we've got, now we've got to hear all about this. <laughs> this, oh, this, this is a story. Look, I guess it was a bit of a silly situation that just kind of escalated. You know, there was a lot of undesirable people that I probably was hanging around. So I guess it was just one of those things that happened and... It was probably one of the worst things that happened, but I think one of the greatest things because for what came to follow, basically I, um, I struggled a lot. You know, the scars of my physical body healed, but psychologically I was, yeah, you know, yeah. I was freaking out. Anyone that looked at me, bad nightmares, all that sort of stuff. I basically worked five days, no, seven days a week, saving enough money. Me and my mate went overseas to Europe when I was 18. And when I got back, my parents had Rocky, which was a red Kelpie. And he was awesome, you know, I, when I first came home, this dog just looked at me, jumped on me. It was just a real cool experience. I've never had a dog before. Mm-hmm. I never really connected with dogs before. It was Everyone had a dog, but no one really did much with them. And this dog just changed my life. It just changed my, the way that I'd seen life and the things that I did, habits that started to change. I started walking him, running him, hanging out with him. And he gave me a, a big appreciation of, of life and gave me a different perspective. And basically, Rocky was a year and a half and he diagnosed with leukemia. Yeah, right. And within three weeks, he, um, he passed away. Well, we end up putting him down, but he yeah, yeah. died. But there was something special that happened. You know, three weeks before he was diagnosed with leukemia, my dad was taking a photo of the sunset and Rocky wasn't in the picture. And then until he looked at the photo and there was Rocky, I actually want to show you guys a little photo and maybe we can put that up for other people to see it later. But basically, so when dad was taking a photo of the sunset, that's where, <laughs> oh, wow. that's where Rocky stood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah, was, I don't pretty, know, it was just... We, you know, yeah, definitely got to send that to Pat. That's got to go on awesome. the Facebook page. Put it on the Facebook page. Yeah, and like, and just pondering on that, just looking at it and just, it was a big reflection of the light that he brought into my life and, you know, and how grateful I was and how sad and upset I was. You know, I listened to the podcast about dealing with the loss and fire out, brought a lot of emotions back. I don't think I ever cried that much before Rocky died, like in my whole life combined, you know, mm-hmm. and anyway, so that's what happened. I ended up having a bit of a life experience that just the two days after he was put down, I had a double hernia surgery. So then, you know, from walking the dog, running, hanging out, going to the gym to doing absolutely nothing, there was a big hole in my life again. Mm-hmm. About a month later, um, we, I adopted a new dog. His name's Ace. He's a black Kelpie. He's from Sydney Dogs and Cats Home. And there was just a lot of experiences I was having and I started to doubt like what I was doing. I was studying building at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just one day I went to my parents and I'm like, hey, I don't want to I don't want to work building and I don't want to do this stuff. I want to work with animals. Originally, it was like big cats. You know, everyone wants to work with a lion mm, and a yeah, tiger, yeah. but not much access to that. So I... Like Gabina, who was looking after bears in someone's castle for That is crazy, them. hey? It is, isn't it? Two bears. Two bears, That's yeah. Amazing. One that tried to kill her and one that was begging for food from her. From and gummy bears, eh? For gummy bears, yeah. <laughs> one that a, tried bear, a bear that eat, eats gummy bears. One That's that awesome. begged for food and one that thought she was food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and basically I, um, I quit my job, I quit TAFE and I volunteered at the shelter. I was there like, you know, as, as much as I could. I started doing animal studies at TAFE. And then and how I, long were you at the shelter for, for the entire time? So um, it was three years in total, mm-hmm. but there was a gap in between that where I ended up coming here and working with you guys and it was really cool. But um, yeah, I ended up getting off of the job. I was working, you know, cleaning kennels and hanging out with dogs. I ended up finding National Dog Trainers Federation and I signed up and it was probably one of the best things I ever did. Mm. Learned so much, you know, met Glenn and, you know, I think everything just started from there. It was just like a, it was a big snowball effect. It was a big, big romance, wasn't it? It was. a big bromance it was romance. definitely bromantic. <laughs> oh, um, so you were volunteering at Sydney Cats and Dogs Home. Yep. You did your NDTF course and then you got a job at 
Sydney Cats and Dogs. So I got a job like after like maybe two weeks of being there like every day. The chick's uh, like, hey, you want to work this Sunday? There's no one here. And I'm like, yeah, I'll work. Yep. Got no money. Right? So, <laughs> not that they were paying awesome, but I ended up it's getting a job. Yeah, 100%. It was a cool experience. It was a big culture shock, you know, from hanging out with men all day long. I went to an all-boys school and then, you know, the, the shelter was dominated by females. Mm-hmm which was a big learning curve as well, you know, having, having to communicate on a different level. You know, you can't just freak out and start raising your voice. You make people cry. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> a lot of things I had to keep myself in check as well, which was cool. Yeah, that is the learning curve for a lot of men that come in, especially men that have been used to being in an industry where you're working with other men and then coming into an industry where it's largely dominated by women. And no matter how you play it out, men and women are different. If you're pretending that's not true and you're trying to live in that bubble or that unpredictable, strange world that we're currently merging into, men and women are different creatures. We think differently, we act differently, we say things differently. I mean, it doesn't matter how people try and merge us into one unidentified sexual race or whatever it is. I'm not trying to be funny or kick somebody over over this. What I'm trying to say is that we are two different species in the way we think and feel about things. So for me, it was a big learning curve too, having to work with young ladies, a lot of them, and the different way they think and feel. And just sometimes you just have to settle down and sometimes you have to think about what you're going to say before you actually say it and sometimes not say anything at all. So true. Mm. Very true, yeah. Let me just remind you, I joined the infantry at 19. I did not work with any women until like, well, ever really Mm. in the army. It was very rare that there were any females and women in infantry was only just coming in as I was leaving. So, yeah, it is a culture shock and it is, it's just something you have to, you do have to modify your behaviour and just be respectful of people, right? That's, that's totally. Yeah, look, I guess that's true is it's one thing to say you have to act a certain way around a, a certain sex, but it's also about being a respectable person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, look, anybody who knows me knows I'm a larrikin. I don't like hurting people's feelings, but I love having a good laugh. And I don't really, it's not that I enjoy having it at somebody's expense, but a laugh is a laugh sometimes. And I think the disappointing thing about this day and age to go back on that train again is that people are looking for way too many things to be offended about. Mm. And that is just the craziness of this modern day and age that people are going, oh, well, maybe five years ago that was funny, but it's not anymore because everyone says it's offensive, so I want to be offended by it. Well, it's almost to a point where nobody wants to talk to each other anymore, where we used to have really good laughs together, Mm. men and women, and not where one is trying to stand over another one or at the other's expense. We used to just laugh at each other. Aussie larrikinism used to be a a very bonded thing where we'd all have a barbecue together and laugh. You don't see much of that anymore. It's changing. Some people think it's for the better. I don't know if I agree. It's social media because the amount of people that are professionally offended hasn't gotten any bigger. It's just they're noisier. That's mm. all. It's the same. It's, there's not heaps more people. Everyone is still like, it's not like the world has changed that significantly. It's just people who are outraged and offended by minor things can now make a big noise about it. In, and in a big echo chamber, make it seem like there's a lot of them when there really isn't that. Yeah, it used to be a big effort to get your sandwich board on and your bell and walk up <laughs> down the street. But, you know, now you, now you can sit at the comfort of your own home and, and just and type for ages and just tirade people with your craziness. All right, so Panos. Back on track. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Panos. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, buddy. So you're working at Sydney Cats and Dogs Home. Yep. thing I love about that is you, like so many other people, have... To become a good dog trainer, you need dogs, right? Mm-hmm. You need hands-on experience. And yep. everyone I know that is doing it well volunteered at some point somewhere. You just got to give away your time to get 100%. your hands on dogs, right? Totally. 
So that's what you're doing at Sydney Cats and Dogs Home initially, just doing whatever you could there, cleaning kennels, cleaning kennels. We're on a behaviour team, you know, and there was, you know, there was a lot of different ideas and concepts, which was a bit of a struggle for me, you mm-hmm. know, because there's some dogs that we want to save their lives and there's, there's methods that we need to use that, you know, may not look so fluffy and awesome. But mm-hmm. to kill a dog because of its behaviour that could be fixed, you know, takes some time to make people change their concept and sometimes you can't. So, you know, I was just doing as much as I could and after I did the NDTF course, um, you know, I got the phone call, hey, do you want to come and work here? And I was like, oh, straight away I was on that, on that train. So straight away I came up here. I ended up working... National Dog Tram, I mean, at Pet Resorts here for about six months, maybe just a little bit over, but, you know, an hour and a half, two hours of driving back and forward to work really took a big toll on me. Yeah. And unfortunately, I would have loved to stay, but I just had to go back, you know, it was taking a lot out of me and I ended up going back to the shelter and that's when I thought, hey, you know, let's give it a crack and let's start the business. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So when was when did you start Nutris Pooches? In 2011. Right. Yeah. Right, so a fair while ago, right? Yeah. You've been doing this a long time. Yeah, so almost seven years now, yeah. Yeah, right. And so what do you see mostly? What's your bread and butter? It kind of mixes over the puppy training, obedience and behavioural issues. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of puppy training, but me, I see a lot of like aggression, resource guarding, you know, like just a general um, disobedient dogs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we all know, it's all people training for dogs. So yeah. learning the art of communicating the information over and obviously understanding that every dog learns differently, every person learns differently and learning that art form has probably been the most enjoyable and probably the, the thing that I try to focus on the most. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I know about Panos quite well, obviously because I've mentored him a fair bit in his career, is that even though he's taken off by himself, he started his own business and he's doing quite well in it. Not quite well, he's doing very well in it. He still is humble enough that when he doesn't know something, he comes and he rings me up or he rings somebody up and he finds out why it's not working or what he needs to do or if at all he should be playing in that field. I have a lot of admiration for him over that because I know that he doesn't put himself into a situation where he just bumbles through it, Mm -hmm. then creates a a bad name for the industry in general by fluffing around with something he has no clue about what he's doing. And so what he's done is he attends seminars, he comes to lectures, he rings people, he networks, he reaches out to people. Only the other day, Panos rang me about something and said, what would you do in this situation? To be honest, I still do that in this day and age. I ring people and say, I don't know anything about this particular style of training. What would you do? What would you recommend? I meet a lot of young people who just seem to be a little bit too proud to do that sometime. They kind of think, well, I don't need to be shown or I don't need to be mentored. We all need to be shown. We all need to be mentored at some stage. We all need to work with people and it's the same thing with doctors or anybody who's specializing in any type of field they go back and find that there's been new breakthroughs new information new technology that's going to help them do their job better and also help the outcome be better if we aren't working with each other if we aren't learning from each other i mean i ask pat things pat goes out and researches different things that i haven't got any idea on i mean i've been training dogs four-fifths as time that he has but he's still very studious and fastidious about things that he takes a like a strong interest in so that's a very polite way of saying obsessive and compulsive (laughs) you are a very obsessive personality but to be honest i mean you couldn't have done your job without being that yeah that's right you know it's a particular character trait but it works very well for you and to be honest it also benefits people like me and other people in our PSA club and people in, you know, your students in dog training. Mm. You've had a big fire in your belly for a long time, Panos. 
I just knew at one stage that you'd be one of these little birds that just said, I'm fine myself. I'm still part of the flock, but I want to fly myself. And I love watching your little business build into a good-sized business that you brought. I think you brought your fiancé on into. and Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, so tell us about that. Yeah, so her name's Tanya and she helps me with the dogs that we look after. So we look after the dogs at our house for like, you know, mainly just for our clients. So we want good dogs in our backyard mm-hmm. for like, you know, short-term dog minding and some doggy daycare. So she helps me with that, helps me with some of the paperwork side of admin sort of stuff as well. And it's been a really cool journey as well. And she's really helped me out and she's given me a lot of good advice in regards to, you know, hey, should you should you speak to that person that way? You should probably do this. And it's really good to, especially when you're out there on your own driving around and acting like you got it all sorted. Sometimes you're like, <laughs> you, I think humility is very important, you know, to just kind of take a step back and not get so invested in what you're doing and just evaluate. And yeah. I think it's, she's really helped me with that. Having that at-home admin team is pretty powerful, right? Yeah. When you have that, yeah. So you do in-home board and trains, you take other people's dogs into your house? So we don't do board and train. Um, everything's all with working with people. And, you know, if there's really hard cases, I would send them up to um, pet resorts and for them to do the board and train here because, right. yeah, we just don't have really have a facility and, and yeah. stuff at the moment. So That's the killer. I'm in the same position. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's really difficult. It's rare for me to take a dog into my house. Mm-hmm. It has to be something special or something too difficult. It has to be a, a unique case to, to bother. 100%. Um, yeah, we um, we actually Panos and, and and Pet Resorts, which is us, obviously, have a good relationship because he's way down south. So when people ring us up and they're way down south and they say, "Oh, can you train my puppy or see this?" He's pretty much, you know, our man in the south. Mm-hmm. You're our man in the city. He's our man in the south. We've got people up north that we referred people to, like Trish, and well, there's a whole network of people. It depends on where they are and you know and what they specialise in, and if they want the work. Yeah, good referral partners is very important for business, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think something like, you know, there's so many people but we lack community, you know, and to network and to stay together and to be sharing ideas is like, I think it's it's invaluable. There's so, there's so much to it, especially coming up to the seminars and hanging out with like minds and bouncing off each other and going, oh, I never thought about that. You know, it's really important to keep the short sharp. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that a lot of the time at seminars, you, you always end up with good information that, but a big part of it is the networking opportunities and meeting like meeting new people but also seeing people that, you know, exactly as they might from totally different part of the city or from all over the place but you're all at this one event together. It's really a, the, the community of it is just as important as the, the learning new skills and keeping up with old skills area of seminars, I think, anyway. That's I really enjoy coming to them for, for exactly that. Yeah, totally. But like to continue answering your question before, I really find that, you know, Rocky and my dogs have been like a real great – teacher to me you know they offer Mm -hmm. a beautiful medicine and something that you know we've come a little bit too far from nature and we live in this big organism called the city and we're living the artificial life and I think you know our dogs are living in our space and they're always offering us an insight within our own self and usually when I'm with clients or our puppy training some of the obedience stuff is kind of straightforward in terms of dog training but there's some of the behavioral issue side that if I don't help the other side of the lead with w- working with the humans, well, then how, how in, in any chance is the dog going to change, you know? And yeah. It's like, rarely ever the dog problem. The dog is just doing what it's been taught to do, exactly. I, I find normally anyway. Yeah. That's why I usually say to people, hey, this is a puzzle that we're doing and you're a big piece of this puzzle. Like mm-hmm. what something you're doing is leading to this. Typically dogs just, they find their advantage. That's all they do. And so if there's a behavioral problem in your home, chances are you've created that problem. Totally. We find that a lot with my experience in rescues. Like people will get a dog and for six weeks it's 
it's awesome. They put it in their house and they say, well, this dog's fantastic. And then at six weeks it turns and becomes something totally different. And I go, well, we can exclude the dog being the problem, right? It, it showed us for six weeks. It was mm-hmm. fine. Something about your house has created this situation. That's right. And so uh, what dogs do you have at the moment? You, you have your own dogs? Yeah, so I have three dogs. We have Ace. He's a Kelpie cross lab. And we have Spades, who's my helper dog. He's a Roddy Shepherd mix. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of make up his breed since I was <laughs> from a puppy. And we also have a new little addition. She's a Pomeranian cross Maltese. Oh, awesome. Yeah. A pocket dog. She's a little pocket dog. She's a little featherweight and she's awesome. She's really cool. I've known her since a puppy. We've only acquired her about six months ago. Mm-hmm. She's two years old now, but she was one of my client's dogs that they couldn't look after anymore. So they asked us, do we know anyone? I'm like, man, we'd love to take her on. So Yeah, cool. Yeah. So your three dogs are, are all rescues or rehomes of some mm-hmm. kind, right? Yep. yep. Cool. Still work in rescue much or? So I volunteer once a week or as much as I can at Southern Shire Council Animal Shelter. Mm-hmm. So they're in Tarrant Point. So I go there and help out the team there with any problem dogs or help out the volunteers, get a better control over them. And a lot of the dogs that we see there, I ended up going, I end up going to the house because they recommend us, Yeah. which is good because we create some sort of foundation and the dog understands who I am and I rock up and the dog's like doing all this stuff and mm-hmm. that way there it becomes a good easy transition. So yeah, I like to give back to the community as much as I can as well. That's pretty cool. And then you get eyes on the dog pre-rehoming yep. and then after homing and then Not you true. can see the effects and what's happened and you've probably got a good gauge of if there's a problem now, where's that come from? Something That's right. Like that, right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And your three dogs, your own personal training techniques and growth in, in raising them and training them, are they very different? Are you Have you changed your style much between dogs? Yeah, big time. Like when I first had dogs, I think my timing was awesome, but my intensity was probably a little bit off. I was a little bit too passionate, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, intense with my dogs. And throughout the time, you know, I've learned mm, that really works, that doesn't work, and I've been refining the skills. It's, it's a bit sad, you know, Ace has got severe epilepsy. He's had that since yeah, right. he was two. He's eight years old now and... He used to be my, my worker dog, but now obviously he's retired. He just hangs out at home and just doesn't really do much. He goes for walks and stuff and he just hangs out. So now Spades has to take up the role in the last like maybe three or four years I've been using him and Spades is awesome. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he got attacked when he was young, about six months old down at the dog park. You know how much we love that place. And every dog he's seen after that, he was lunging, trying to bite. So now it'll put me to get my skills into action with my own dog. It's always, it's kind of easy to, offload information to somebody else but when you're emotionally attached you're gonna have to put all those skills to action and I think that was a real cool experience you know and with Nookie now like you know she's so small you know dealing with a big dog compared to a small dog as much as I've trained so many dogs when it's your own dog in your own place you know you can't just you grab spades a big guy and you chuck him outside this little thing she's so small you you have to push her with one finger and she goes across the room sort of thing so now I have to try to be a little bit more modify your approach that's right yeah and it's um as I said, you know, they're, they're a great teacher of mine and they're always giving me something to gauge off and there's a lot of inner work that has to go on, especially if we want the outside things to work out. Mm-hmm. So Spades, you say, is your helper dog. So he's with you most days and you use him for like reactive dogs and he's your, your solid dog, right? That, that's right. That's yeah. how you do it? Yeah. How's he cope with that? How do you manage that lifestyle for mm-hmm. him? So um, at first it was a little bit rough for him because he wasn't used to it he was still a little bit scared of some dogs especially mm-hmm. when they're trying to like lunge at him and bite him and stuff but now he's so so chill he sees a dog that's reacting he gets up he makes his space he knows what to do a dog approaches him he, he just fully knows how to control his own body language and he knows how to communicate and um i use him just for general socialization with puppies because a lot of people want to do puppies with puppies for socializing but i like to have a stable dog yeah. and puppy to be around so he does not particularly 
you know, excited to see a puppy. He's like, oh. So he'll walk away and I give him his space. He's really cool off the lead, but we keep him on a long lead, obviously, being out in public. And um, he's just really well. It's a little bit rough in the summer, you know, rocking up to people's house. I can't leave him in the car. But I'll leave him to down, stay out the front of someone's house in the shade. He'll stay there for an hour and not even move. So Awesome. Yeah, he's really cool. We That's love him cool. a lot. I use Valerie for the same sort of thing a lot of the time. And I just notice I, I feel bad sometimes the positions I put that dog in. It's such a trust thing. Like she just, she'll hold it down while a really dog reactive dog is going ballistic at her. And we're working on that and we're opening distance and that sort of thing. And she sits there and you can see her kind of sigh and roll her eyes. And she's like, <laughs> this shit again. And she just continues to do it and does it. And I'm always really, I don't know, I, I feel a burden, like a, I owe her something special afterwards because mm-hmm. it's like, thank mm-hmm. you for doing that. Like, totally. you're not getting paid. I yeah, am, right? Exactly. But you've got to reward her in some way more than usual for, for putting up with that crap, yeah. right? It's very, and accepting that danger. It's a huge trust that she has to have mm-hmm. in me and he, like Spades has to have in you to, right. to go through that. It's very anthropomorphic of you. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit, right? But I what, do you, what do you that, buy her, a Freddo frog afterwards? To... Well, I, what I, I mean, what I do is I usually, to be honest, I won't go straight home like, because it'll be, I'll just have her and not Remy or whatever other dog I've got with me, and then we go and just hang out for a little while and and give her, you know, just attention that she doesn't normally get really individual attention. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like I couldn't do it like I need that dog, and mm-hmm. um, especially as you know, working with a reactive dog, you, you have to have another dog there. You have mm-hmm. to have another dog to help, and if you don't, you, you don't know what the fuck another dog's going to do if mm-hmm. you don't know the dog. So you That's can't right. just go to a public place and say, "Oh, here, kid comes one," because mm-hmm. it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So you need that solid dog. You really do need that dog. And so I feel like a, certainly I owe her a debt of gratitude mm-hmm. every time when, I mean, I, I think of one particular example where I had a dog going fucking ballistic at her and it would have killed her if it got the chance and she just wow. just held the down. They just take it in their stride, don't they? Like it's yeah. nothing. They like, really don't well, care. Well, she rolled her eyes and was like, oh, God, this bullshit again. And it was like sniffing the ground. Like in that down, she's like, okay, what can I do to entertain myself in this tiny space? And then you tell her, okay, we're done, and she just pops up. I'm like, woo, I'm happy mm. again. The thing with spades as well is like most of the time when we're with reactive dogs, once I see them first time, they're like, oh, that boring guy. Mm. They don't even react to him anymore. So like we have to then have to really um, stalk some other dogs on the street, you yeah. know, <laughs> because I don't have a crazy reactive dog. Yeah. So the, um, the good thing about Valerie is I can then tell her she can piss off dogs like you can't believe. It's the yeah. same deal. They go, oh, okay, that dog's not going to do anything. And then mm-hmm. they'll say, okay, you're free, go chase dust. That's and right. she fucking drives dogs mental doing 100%. that. So I've got, <laughs> got those levels. <laughs> got those levels for sure. Yeah, I used to do it a lot with Biff. Biffy was my go-to dog when he was alive. And I, I couldn't do it with Randy. Look, he, he doesn't care about other dogs really, but he's just too much of a fiery personality to be able to take that that shit in his face where Biff used to be able to just roll with it. Mm. He just did not care whatsoever. Every time I was doing a dangerous dog assessment, he'd almost walk to the fence like, oh, I know what we're doing here. And he'd just stroll along the fence and he'd look at the dog and the dog would bark at him and go, mm, the indignity of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going very well at this assessment. <laughs> like he'd almost wants to give them tips like, hey, just keep it, yeah, just keep it like, up. Like, right. dude, seriously, there's, shit, there's a whole bunch of shit coming your way if you bark. Or <laughs> your life might be on the line, bro. Just calm down. <laughs> if only, right? Yeah, it can be interesting on the depending on the size of the dog. Some, you know, having a large dog can sometimes intimidate and force a reaction that you wouldn't have expected. Whereas sometimes, and more regularly, you generally see it with smaller dogs like Val, 
who move quickly and incite that predatory sort of prey aggression out of dogs. But I think it's ironic with her. She's such a little rabbit hunter, but she emulates one so well. No, doesn't she? The, yeah. The, she will – like her prey drive kicks other dogs into prey drive horrendously. And like every Mally I've ever had off leash with her just – constantly bites her on the ears because those ears flap around <laughs> yeah. as she runs. Well, she does look like a little bunny. She's yeah, got a tiny it. little tail and, you know, as you said, she she runs around like a little wisp. Mm. So poor little girl. But Remy's actually pretty good though. She's got a good life at the moment. Mm. I'm a bit paranoid using Nookie now. Like she's like only three kilos and she's well, so What small. is Nookie? She's a Maltese Pomeranian. Nookie? Nookie. Hey, all right. So her name was her name was Snooky, but I wasn't going to walk around the streets yelling out Snooky. Yeah, then yeah. we called her Nooky. Oh, and so then, you thought Nooky is much better? Well, for me, I didn't know the slang, the term. My dad's like, you know what that means, right? I'm like, not really. And he's like, <laughs> oh, so we spell it N-U-K-I. All oh, right, it's okay. a Japanese name. Right, oh yeah, right, oh Nooky. That's yeah. it, exactly. <laughs> Perfect, makes total sense. Yeah, but I'm a bit paranoid using her when we're out working because, like, she's so small. It just takes one dog to step on her, and she's going to be seriously yeah, yeah. injured. So I've used her, but I'm a bit. You know, and she's still not great off, like, you know, on a long lead just to let her loose. So mm-hmm. You do have to be careful. You, yeah, have, you, ha- you have to be mindful. I mean, it's even with me, with my Frenchies, aside the fact that they're little bastards in that they'll cause more problems than they'll fix. They are, you take them out and they run too long and spend too much time in the heat and they overheat and cause themselves injury and those type of things. So, I mean, you've always got to be smart about the type of dog that you're going to take. That's right in those applications and when you do have that sort of helper dog like you were talking about with Ace originally and then moving on to Spades, it's a massive asset to your life. Big time. It's You just take it for granted how good these bloody dogs actually are so at being able to fit in these awkward situations and come through it largely unscathed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a lot, it's like a lot of people who are involved in those type of roles where they're working with elements of people, you know, and they really have to be debriefed in that mm-hmm. situation because they take on a lot of the persona of what they've just been dealing with and, and come down and be go into a bit of psychoanalytic work to mm-hmm. re- reverse the problem. But with dogs, they're like, oh, well, so what, now what? Yeah, it's done. done. Get yeah. on with it. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. You know, I, I envy that about dogs, that they can put, mm. a, put a lot of that. You know, I mean, when you see the effects of a, a dog that's been poorly socialised or badly treated by someone, you, you really get the feels for it. But when you watch dogs like our three dogs that we've just been talking about and you watch the magnificent work they do and what they put up with you just think to yourself isn't this just amazing that this dog can just let shit just bounce off it like teflon and just get on with life that's i guess that's the thing you envy about it because sometimes you struggle with that yourself like you take on the drama at the end of the day that people that you let into your head it's a little bit scary as well because, you know, exactly as you're in this position with Ace not being able to do that work anymore, you need that dog, right? It's really yep. lucky you have spades that can do mm-hmm. it because if you're doing those behavioural assessments and training and that sort of thing, you need that dog. As much as a security guy needs his work dog, mm-hmm. it, you need that dog. Like you literally can't do the job without it. That's right. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a big burden to put on the dog but also yeah. like financially it's a huge risk yeah. just having one. Like, because my other dog, exactly like your Frenchies, it caused more problems than, than anything because he's so engaged and I don't want to cap that because mm-hmm. um, I, I want it, that drive for other things. But, yeah, it's a huge risk if you have that dog and you're like, oh, well, now I can't work, yeah. right? So you, you're lucky that you have a suitable dog to replace the one that, who, who can't do it anymore. Very lucky, you have yeah. to um, send us a picture for the, our Facebook page too. Of, oh, um, I, I've, had, <laughs> I've laughed to myself looking at Ace's face when he's had to put up with those dogs before and he's... <laughs> Just got this look on his face sometimes. Yeah, it, it is that face. Is that 
Uh, sort oh of look. Gosh. Not this, this again. This shit again. This yeah. shit again, yeah. yeah. And it it does make me laugh, but he's one of those, he's a rock dog. Yeah. Just Big takes time. it in his stride. So, yeah. Soul, yeah. So when we, um, when people are listening to the podcast, we'll have to have, you'll have to send a few pictures where you've, there's some really good videos I used to watch when you were putting it up online. You used to think that is a cool dog. Yeah. Yeah. He really Thanks. enjoys it. Yeah. He's um, a good boy. So tell us about weddings. Yeah. Someone, one of my clients asked me, you know, yeah, you reckon you can bring my pug to my wedding? I'm like, that was awesome. It was a one-off thing and I didn't do anything about it for about a year and a bit. And then last year, one of um, Tanya's friend's sisters, you're like, we want a dog. You know, I've never met the dog before. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, let's do it. So walked it down the aisle, hanging out in the bridal party. And then we ended up doing really cool photos together. I took the dog home, took it for a walk, fed it and went off. And I thought that was awesome. I put those photos up, started to get a little bit of traction and, we haven't done heaps of them. We only did like four of them last year, but they were still pretty cool. And some people just want them just to come just for the photos only. Some people want them to be there for the ceremony. And, you know, so we just work around what people want. And That's awesome. Mm. I, I got an inquiry once to have, train a dog to deliver the rings yep. at like holding the pillow and go down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Right? Like it's such an awesome job and it's a teacher dog to do. But I get there and it's like the wedding's in two weeks and the dog is like completely untrained. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I mean, it was a nice dog. It wasn't yeah. going to be a problem, but there's no way. I just said to him, look, there's just no way in hell yeah. I can first teach your dog. You don't have a recall on your dog. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what makes you think when we put a bow tie on it and it's a little, little fake tuxedo that you've had made and it's going to hold a pillow with your rings, however much they're worth, and go down the aisle. Exactly. I was like, this is like six months. Yeah. Like with a dog that knew some of those components, yeah, no worries, in two weeks. So I would have loved to have done it, but I'm glad that there's a market for that and that people are It's really cool. You know, and I thought about it as well. Like we're getting married in eight weeks, so the big day's coming. Oh, congratulations, Thank you buddy. very much. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. And um, I know that I haven't seen my invite. Oh, <laughs> so um, I'll just keep checking. <laughs> and basically, I thought about I'm like, oh, how my dog's gonna be like. You know, I know Spade's gonna be pretty chill, but how about like the little one? She gets excited about any human that she sees. She like tap dances on the ground. Oh my gosh! And I thought about it anyway. And any time a dog even slips up, does something funny, everyone's gonna laugh. It's gonna be cute, yeah, exactly. You know, and, it, and I think I think about that as well. Like we always want, I want the best behavior, the best dog. But sometimes I can be. Not that we want disobedient dogs, obviously, but yeah, yeah. you know, a bit of fun and you know brings a bit of spirit to the day or more spirit to the day. So it's um I think there's yeah. some of the most memorable things about a wedding when you know when the kids do something silly or the dog pisses on the bride's yeah, or the, dress. Or, or, I've seen, or, I've or seen a picture of that. Whoa. Yeah, I've seen a picture of that um on uh, on an album online where they're doing the, the photos. They've got the dogs and there's a leg cocked on the dress. Oh wow! Yeah, I know, right? Priceless photo. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is a price very yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's mm. true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that's awesome. I think you're dead right. Like if you had your dog, if you were standing in at the altar and you called the dog down and did like an IPO style retrieve and sat in front of you and took rings off, I think people go, oh, very impressive. But yeah, yeah. if it ran around in the crowd and jumped on a few people and yeah. then eventually arrived at, yeah, that'd Bitch be- your mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be more fun, right? Everyone would everyone have a good time with that for, for sure. sure. Well, like the, one of the ones we did last year, the bride wanted to surprise a groom. So I was like hiding out. We waited for him to come out and then I rocked up and it was like, whoa, it was really exciting for everyone and everyone enjoyed it. It was very engaging, took photos, we chilled out and took the dog back home. And it was, it was, it was it's easy for me, but, you know, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, my friend's going to walk the dog. And mm. it's a lot of effort. you got to get a good photo. you got to, you know, have the right tools on you to have the treats. And, yeah, yeah. you know, you got to like, you know, not get the dog too tired before, but, you know, exercise them a bit so they're not crazy. and. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of an art form to it as well. And 
Yeah. yeah. And it's probably better that you're not like a guest at the wedding because then your dog, your job is just the dog. A exactly. guest would then be like still trying to talk to people and not putting 100% of their time and effort That's into right. the dog yeah. and managing it. Because there is so much room for disaster. 100%. <laughs> Hilarious disaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good fun. <laughs> so the other thing I want to talk to you about was something came up on Facebook a while ago, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember you had a, a problem on yep. Facebook? Yep. Can we talk about that? Of course we can. Yeah, totally. So run us through what happened. So I was um, training a dog by memory. It was like a lab cross American Staffy. It was a real large dog, about seven years old. And the lady like hadn't walked the dog in like two years. She goes, I can't walk this dog. He's going to pull my arm off. And so we did a little bit of um, obedience training before we left the house. As soon as we walked out the house, it was like a stallion was like running up the street. So I had the, the Martingale Colorado was nice, up, nice and high. And I issued the first correction and it wasn't even that dramatic, but I checked the dog on the lead. I've seen this girl walk past me and I just picked up a vibe. I was in Marrickville, you know, there's lots of people, you know, on on the main road. So I thought let's veer off into a quieter street. Mm -hmm. And then I just looked back and I see this chick was about to record me. So I walked up to him like, please, I'd appreciate if you didn't record me, you know, like what's going on. And she started telling me off about how aggressive and violent I am and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, well, let's have a discussion. Let's chat about it. You know, obviously – you know, you're upset and I'm, I don't wake up every morning going, oh, yes, I get to smash some dogs today. Like, it's obviously not my job. Yeah. So we try to have a conversation. She but was who like, does? Of course. Who does? <laughs> who, who, got, like, who got into it apart from a complete and utter lunatic? Mm-hmm. Whoever got in this industry and thought, I really enjoy smashing dogs? Yeah. It makes no sense. I mean, I, I don't talk to anybody in this industry. So I'm not, sorry to butt in on no, the story, but no I don't talk to anyone in this industry that says I'm really getting off on and hurting dogs. I don't like it. For sure. Uh, I understand there's a time and place where dogs have got to be corrected. And they've got to understand it. Even though people argue the validity of that, it's just crazy that we, that we have to defend ourselves in these sort of situations without any background or any knowledge about what's going on and yet they'd still want to put the dog down. Especially yep. to be pulled up on uh, a martingale collar, right, mm-hmm. to be abused over that. For sure. It was – It was. look, I, I guess I expect it. You know, people don't like the look of it, and if you love dogs and you're not educated, yeah, it can look confronting, right? Mm-hmm. However, um, try to have a conversation with her, and, like, it was like I wasn't giving heaps of time. She's not paying me. You know, my clients were standing right yeah, next yeah. to me. And then her attitude was pretty crazy. I'm like, look, agree to disagree, I guess. You can walk that way. I'm going to go this way. We're going to continue working. She continued to pull the phone out. My client got really upset with her and he started like, you know, telling her off. And basically um, I just continued walking. They followed me and that was it. And I'm like, just don't worry about it. It's all good. Maybe we just need to, I guess, what can you do? You know, let's just keep on working on the dog mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if we don't do something about this dog and I don't know what sort of magic tool you're going to put on the dog that just magically makes him stop pulling mm-hmm. on the lead. We use lots of treats and reinforcing good behaviour. I go, let's just keep on, keep this up and let's see, hopefully we bump into her in a month's time and that dog's walking perfectly next to us and that's great. Mm. We ended up coming back around the corner. She's seen us again. She ended up calling the police. They came down. It was like a full-on situation. The cops were there and they were asking us what happened. The, meanwhile, I'm sitting on the ground. The dog's all over me, licking me, hanging out. So he wasn't upset with me. Anyway, um, the, the cops were like, this is just a waste of time. I don't know why we're here. I'm like, that's cool. Anyway, we went you off. You should have asked if they could charge her with harassment. Yeah. Harassment or yeah. something, yeah. Well, look, I was just happy to f- the fact that, you know, um, that nothing did go wrong, you know, and yeah, no yeah. one was hurt, nothing happened. She was just obviously entitled to, you know, her opinion. She thinks that everyone should agree with her and obviously that's her own pers- personality trait and I'm sure it's probably the first time she's done something similar. 
And then it was only a couple of days later, I was kind of waiting for it. I just knew that something was going to happen on social media and all of her friends ended up attacking our reviews page, giving us like one star ratings and saying that I abuse dogs and women and this and that and all this other outrageous sort of um, comments. So I just, you know, went on our page and go, hey guys, you know, um, anyone that's had a real experience with, you know, Nutris Pooches, please put it up. I obviously went on to the balance symposium like hey guys anyone that knows me if you can write something that'll be awesome you know just to kind of like help a brother out sort of thing and I was overwhelmed with the response like you know so many people have my back you know we had like 20 reviews to begin with before that day we ended up with like 160 people writing all this awesome stuff and um, all of those comments were removed by Facebook because I reported them and there was no grounds that nothing of it was true sort of thing and Mm -hmm. so I guess that was what happened and there was a bit of a lesson involved, I guess, you know, that we are growing in a time where people are extremely sensitive and mm. people are uneducated, they don't understand. Well, we and live in, right? Sorry? It's the world we live in. Yeah, 100%. But the problem is to, to paint you, I remember seeing you at the time and like we don't know each other super well, I've only met a few times, but my assessment of you is like you're an urban hippie, man. Like you're he is. A, he, you're, yeah, he's a, he's a modern day hippie. Yeah, yeah, like you're one of the nicest, most approachable guys I've ever just spoken to. Thank you. And to mm. say, to think like that, what I saw she had written, I was like, there's just no way. That's not Panos. Th- there's just yeah. no way that happened. There's yeah. just no way. And her, like her assessment of what is abuse and what is not is obviously so far off the scale of, of reality. Yeah. But then to, to, when people make it personal like that, that's when it just loses all credibility. It just, right. it just became ridiculous. Yeah, it was. Um, the shame about that is there's no recourse for people who are, doing, who are pulling that shit. Mm-hmm. And they really are, and excuse my French, but I'm going to say it, they really are fucktards. Yeah. They're just the worst common denominator in society at the moment because I, I don't know if you've seen that ad that's on Facebook. Um, it's, it's a piss take where they've got a, a young millennial girl going for an interview with an older bloke. And have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, do you know Word or Excel? Or And she's no, no, no. And he's going, well, uh, it says here in your resume that you're big on technology. And she goes, oh, yeah, I am. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all the big ones. And um, <laughs> You do that voice. So oh, it's just it's such an annoying thing because it's, replicating what's happening with children these days that they're being entitled to behave like that where it wouldn't have been tolerated well it wasn't tolerated when we were growing up you know you didn't behave like that and talk to people like that and yet people are thinking that they've got this entitled way of life now that they can talk to people with this bratty outlandish lazy geez I could go on with just so many things that are just coming into my head that just describe how disappointed I am where some of these people are going. But even in that one where the guy, oh, we'll have to put that video up for people yeah. to have a look at because in the end the guy goes, well, sorry, darling, I don't think we're a good fit. And she goes, oh, you haven't said anything nice to me. You've been negative since <laughs> I came here. You know, I'm feeling very unsafe. Can I talk to someone in human resources? He's going, what? You don't even work here. <laughs> it just goes, I know it, like I said, I know it's a piss take, but it's not far from, from the reality. And to get on to my earlier point is that people can do this. They're allowed to report on you and chase you down and harass you like that and there's no recourse for them. Mm-hmm. One of the good things that should happen to people like that is when they're found to be fraudulent in their behaviour, social media should cancel their subscription. Ability to review. Exactly. Yeah. They should say anybody who, who has done this and is doing fraudulent and, and non-creditable reviews, either we're going to... Like Pat said, take away your ability to review people or we'll cancel you from your Facebook or 
Instagram, Twitter. You get it everywhere. All the though. big and ones. <laughs> you get it everywhere though. And it's not just your millennials that do that sort of stuff. Like No, it's not. It's well, it's it's people in my age bracket and even my mum's age bracket that are behaving like brats with things like that. Because it's it's a way of the times. It's mm-hmm. the ability to do it. So people are thinking, Well, well, there's a witch hunt, we might as well jump on then on the wagon with my pitchfork and my um fiery torch and go down the road and burn someone. Yeah. For sure. Well, one of the things that I, I get really impressed by on social media is, you know, when people do that, they, they give like a review and it does my head in because then as a business page, you always, your posture has to be, oh, we're so sorry. This is how, you know, you have to, mm-hmm. you have the to, customer you have is always the, yeah. right and you just have to wear it on the chin. And I see in dogs, like we've, we've been attacked on our business page because we reckon, we, we teach people how to identify a good breeder. Mm-hmm. We actually, I actually got death threats once because what? our video series doesn't recommend getting rescues it says wow. like it, it, it doesn't recommend it we actually have a line in it where i say if you want to get a rescue like that's great do it this, this all applies but this video is on how to identify a good breeder mm-hmm. and make sure you're not getting one from a puppy farm wow. and we actually had a guy like i had a little back and forth with him and we we're always polite and then he told me that um, basically the long and the short of it was he wanted to kill me over it. And I just said... Oh, what do they call them now? Slacktivists. Slacktivists. Yeah. Slacktivists. Well, I just said to him, uh, I can remember I was at the time. I there's, said, there's a meme called um, a slacktivist. I think I sent it to you the other day. We'll have to put that up as well. Yeah. Where so, it basically goes along the lines of does anything to protect the animals, will haunt you, will hunt you down, will threaten you and your family, but all for the animals, right? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And wow. But so this guy, you know, I clicked on his profile because it's on Facebook that, and, and on our business page is doing this and he's in Sydney. So I just wrote to him. I just said, hey, man, like I see you're in Sydney. This is my home address. I'm the former <laughs> commando. <laughs> no, I didn't say it. I just said, if you really want to uh, continue this conversation, like let's not back and forth. If you're threatening with death threats, come around, bro. Like awesome. let's, let's see how this pans out. But he never turned up, unfortunately. Oh, unfortunately um, for him. Hey. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, People are so clever and so witty and so powerful behind their keyboard. Mm-hmm. But so the opposite of that then was, you know, my wife owns a tattoo shop and we we got a one-star review from a white supremacist because one of the girls in the shop wouldn't do his like Nazi tattoo. And so what happened was it was he sent through a tattoo and she didn't realise it because it wasn't like it was a swastika, but it was she drew it all up and did everything and then someone else saw it in the shop and was like, the fuck is that? And he then showed like the Google images and was like, this is a, a Nazi image. Alicia, who was going to do it, just wrote to him and said, hey, I'm not going to do this tattoo, all right? Here's the drawing. It's all done, but I'm not going to be doing this. This isn't something to do. So he then got on Google and gave us a one-star review. But the cool thing about the tattoo shop is it's a different industry, man. So mm-hmm. we, we screenshot all that and put it up and we're like, hey, this is the deal. Like we don't do Nazi shit. Fuck off. Like yeah, yeah. We, we wear your one-star review as a badge of honour. That's right. And this is how it goes. So it's liberating in that way, but that's an industry where you can get away with that. The problem that we face is then like people can sink you for your bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the thing is as well, like I'm sure that that chick that did that to you, like obviously there wasn't a personal attack, which is a problem, but the issue is – Really, the, the education in general, like... Where's it going? Well, the thing is, all she did was saw you give a correction on a martingale to a dog that couldn't be walked because it was pulling so much. Yeah, so what, so what is, in that specific situation, do we keep the dog at home? Do we take him to the shelter? Do we not do anything with him? People aren't seeing things as, as a realistic sort of perspective. And also, like, in that scenario as well, like, what happened in that situation was that we're on that block, that incident happened... We walked around the block. The dog was there, was looking at me. A dog walked past. There was no reaction. It was really good. And then somebody random asked me for a card 
So it was like, isn't it a matter of perception? Yeah, you yeah. see me 10 minutes ago, I'm, I'm no good. You see me 20 minutes later and it's all sweet. Can I have your card? So it's, you know, it's sad that people, you know, um, Headline news, impulse. buddy, is made in five-minute judgments. Yeah. And that's the, that's the problem with it. I mean, m- many people have been sunk on something that's happened in five minutes or less mm-hmm. simply by somebody catching something that they've done without the whole story. They don't care about the story and neither do, uh, and that's the unfortunate thing about the, the mainstream media either is they don't either. They're just thinking this is fantastic. Yeah. What a way to fuck somebody's life because we've got five mm-hmm. minutes of sensationalised drama that we can paint this person to be a, yeah. like the, the biggest monster in their life. I'm big at the moment or have been for a while now and trying to be empathetic. I try to understand where people come from. So I put myself in her shoes, mm-hmm. right? So if I see someone really actually abusing a dog in the street, you, you have to confront them, right? Mm-hmm. You have to. If, if you see someone really beating on a dog, then you have to. You have to go and intervene and then you have to do something to, to stop that person being mm-hmm. able to do it again. Yep. That's fair enough. We're in this industry as custodians and guardians it, of that breed. Exactly. Right. I would not stand by and but let But you do it for a kid or a, a woman or an, even anyone, another guy right? if you could. Anyone, right? Yeah. And you just couldn't stand by and do it. The problem is, and, and so in her heart, she probably felt like she was doing the right thing. Totally. She wasn't being an ass. She was right. defending the dog. But she has no fucking idea what she's seeing. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. And right. she doesn't understand what positive punishment is and doesn't understand how that works and mm-hmm. has just been fed bullshit mm-hmm. about this is this is inhumane treatment of a dog and we've just discussed your pedigree you fucking mm-hmm. gave up your time and worked at sydney cats and dogs mm-hmm. home every dog you have mm-hmm. is a rehome rescuer of mm-hmm. some kind dropped your career and did everything to come into dogs to help them mm-hmm. you're not out there hurting dogs mm-hmm. for for the sake of it well and on top of all that i've had over 100 dogs die in my arms because they were not rehomeable whether they were aggressive reactive or they just weren't desirable for people to take you know and i think putting that into perspective i you know the the worst thing we want from something or something that we love is for them to die or especially when it can suffering. be cured if exactly it can be fixed, why why does it have to be on that conversation one that you you boys have just been talking about the mistake that I find that she made was that she wasn't willing to talk to you about it when you That's were willing right. to talk to her. Exactly. You're right, Pat. She is allowed to call bullshit on something if she thinks that she's seen a crime being committed or mm-hmm. an act of cruelty or, or something, whatever and, it is. And from her perspective, she's doing the right thing. That's right. It's, exactly. It's not, it, that's not the problem. And I don't have an issue with that. What I did have an issue was the fact that Panos offered her the ability to sit down and talk to him. Yeah. And she basically said no. And then went off and made him out to be a violent person, not only to the dogs, but also to people as well. I mean, where does that judgment come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's the thing. And this, as, a, as a culture, if we have the ability to network and talk to each other, I think this is a thing that we have to try and encourage people to be a little bit more understanding of what they're doing. I mean, I've spent a lot of my time networking, speaking to people, I guess in some form I've been an activist against this sort of behaviour in general Mm. because it's just bullshit that I'm seeing spreading further and further and further. And it's it's not growing us together as communities, it's separating us. It's making us more suspicious of each other, less trusting, and it tears communities apart. Where really, you know, if people are prepared to talk to somebody in in a neutral fashion, if they're prepared to sit down and and say, hey, you know, I understand what you saw could have been confronting, but can I tell you why it's happening? I wouldn't um, generally recommend this, but I did it for this X, Y, and Z reason. At least if you got, I mean, I've met so many people, a lot of people in, in student training over the years who have been very aversive 
and very in strong opposition against any type of correction tool, especially for chains, prong holes, etc., that have said to me, they, they shouldn't be used, they are ridiculous, they're outlandish, etc., etc., until they've had time to sit down and actually get an education on it. And they said, well, oh, I didn't actually consider that. Said, it's not my job to try and brainwash you or try and make you believe that it's something that it's not. At least you should know the truth and at least you should know what it offers a dog before you have a strong aversive opinion towards it. As we've discussed in the past, I think it's natural and probably a sign of a good person to be anti that if you don't understand it. Mm, if you haven't right. been educated you sh- and you see like punishment doesn't work and you can only use positive reinforcement, you go, okay, fair enough. Like that, that's mm. how it should be. And if you don't understand, you really should take that approach. It's yep. then though being open-minded enough. Like I remember the first time I saw a prong collar, I was like, there's no way in hell same. I would ever use had a prong Had the same collar. opinion. I said, because I, I mean, it was in the army and all the dogs had them on. And I was like, that looks like a fucking torture device. Like mm. that legit looks like a medieval And most device. people think that when they see it. Yeah. And the, the guy that was showing me, he goes, no, nah, man, like it doesn't actually, it doesn't work the way you think it does. It works like this. And he puts mm-hmm. it on around his arm, goes, see how it works. And I was like, oh, totally different. And in yeah. like a minute, I then go, oh, okay, I understand how but this works But it's also now. in that other minute, that joy of imagery where people show it and there's such high emotion soaring over it because people look at it and they go, what the hell is this? Yeah. What are you doing here? Why would you put that on a dog? Because they've, they've looked at it and it looks like a medieval torture device. Mm-hmm. And people still describe them as that. They, they sell that point and they're working off that emotion that this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to put things on dogs they're going to render the flesh off their bones and break their necks and do all sorts of things. You I know. think as well, like, to answer the question, like, well, let's go a little bit deep with it. Like, first of all, we love emotional porn. Like, everyone, like, you can't mm. even watch a cooking show without someone crying. Like, it's intense. Mm. You know, we always want to be triggered in some way. And I think because we we have a great opportunity to live so comfortable, but because we're so comfortable, we're finding the wrong things to be worrying about. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. Like in that girl's situation, I said, I'm like, look, your intentions are right. Yeah, if I was abusing the dog, you should say something. But it's how she went about it, which wasn't right. How about have a conversation? Drop me an email. Let's have a chat. Hey, come to another session. Like is all the things that I was saying to her, like come follow us for the rest of the walk and let's let's have a discussion. If I didn't care about the dog, I'd be like, here, have it. You have a walk with this dog. Mm-hmm. And then you have a feel for it. Because if it's not you doing something, then it's going to be something that happens to you. And I think that's the nature of what happens is that there's always going to be a consequence on either end, but we want everything to be happy and roses, you know, and all that sort of fluffy behavior. But we forget the the flip side to um to everything. People, right? people are always looking for something to be worried about as well. Like yeah. I think that the human mind is built to work under stress, mm-hmm. but that stress is like, what am I going to eat next? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger That's right. between now and then? Yep. And so now... Everyone has like affluenza where life's just too easy. So you have to, I have to be outraged over something. I have mm-hmm. to be, I have to be worried about something because that's the discomfort that compels me to work. Mm-hmm. Like negative reinforcement, which is the that's devil, right? right? Which yeah. you're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. That compelling to work, like that constant, I need struggle in my life. People have to make up bullshit now because mm-hmm. your meal is going to arrive. You don't have to hunt it. You don't have to 100%. figure out where's my next meal going to come from. Am I going to be killed <laughs> in the process? Mm-hmm. There's, there's another really good meme that I, I enjoy frequently where... I can't wait for a time when we no longer have to talk. We can just, dis, like... We, we can, can just talk, we can just discuss in memes. In memes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the time's coming. There's this 
it's a card like a stick cartoon drawing of a guy looking at a computer and it says, "I'm going to be quite a while, honey. Someone's wrong on the internet." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's it, right? Yeah. Well, I gave up. I was arguing back and forth, and what I realised was trying to convince people. I was giving away my time to people I don't like, mm-hmm. trying to convince them of something that was never going to work. Yeah, when okay. I had clients that I'm selling the same information mm-hmm. to who that's wanted right. to hear it, and I was like, "Man, this metric's all wrong. This is this is I'm way off beat yeah. here. This is so I just gave up. I don't. Well, I was I listening to off. another podcast, and they were saying how when there are situations like this, the best thing you can do is go, "Hey, thank you for your feedback." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's all you can say back to it. Not say nothing, but don't get so invested where you're, you know, you're being zapped for your energy. Thanks for your feedback. That's awesome. We got to move on. George you know? George Carlin, the comedian, he's a political comedian. He summarised it very well in one of his quotes, where he says, "The most liberating time in your life is when you give up caring what other people think." Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that you don't care about other people or you don't care about what they're like, friends and colleagues, but rather than being so invested where you're killing yourself on, and people literally have killed themselves like that poor little kid Dolly um, recently and many other people. He could just go on for years talking about people who have taken their life over the poor treatment of other people where they just can't fight them anymore. You know, they're so overwhelmed and so beaten down that you just think, what's the point? So I agree with Pat. I don't invest my time in reading too much shit that other people are saying anymore. I spend less and less time worrying about forums. In fact, I deleted a lot of them because there's just so many trash people on Mm -hmm. there. And I'm not trying anymore to win the adoration of people who aren't worth my time. And it's not to say that I'm elitist, I'm above them or anything like that. It's just that why put myself into such a position where I'll go to bed mad or go to bed upset or lose the remaining hair that I've got For sure. over, uh, over some pretty bad people. Mm-hmm. And you know what the worst thing about this is, or the most intriguing part I should say, is that they don't look at themselves as a bad person. They no, actually right. think they're wonderful. Yeah, that's right. The, some, of the, some of the most insane people I've ever met in my life think they're incredible, wonderful, giving, caring, loving, nurturing people and yet they're the most narcissistic monsters I've ever met. I'm not saying that I, I can't be narcissistic at times. It's an uh, unfortunate trait of human behaviour and at times you display it. Uh, and there's things that I've done that I've upset other people and behaviour that I've displayed that have upset other people. Some of them had it coming and some of them haven't. It's been entirely my fault on just being a dickhead. But there, I don't take up my time thinking about how to ruin the lives of other people. I really don't. What I'm doing is like most other people are trying to do in life is get by, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy life. And I don't want to finish my time thinking, geez, I made a complete fuck up of that. What I do want to do is I want to finish life thinking, I hope I left a legacy for other people in some things, but you're never going to get through life not upsetting people. Sure. The the thing is, is like the crux of what we're talking about is at least be open to engaging, at least be open to hearing the other person's side. And you said it well, Pat, before when you were talking about being empathetic. There's times where you've got to be open and you've got to be able to listen, but there's also times where you've just got to say, this isn't going anywhere. What's the point in both of us remaining so upset? The best thing to put your hands up and to say, I think we just got to agree to disagree and go our own way. Absolutely. And the the truth of the situation for you was probably had a positive outcome through the whole thing, right? It did work out. (laughs) Uh, Because you put up with some stress and some heartache for a little while, 
But then a huge amount of support came in and you got all those positive reviews and your brand lifted mm-hmm. significantly, right? That's right. So well, fuck I guess you. You can't, have, <laughs> you can't have one without the other and I think the opposite defines the other. And I think, you know, if we, if we want greatness, you have to um, experience a failure. You know, if you – and I think the most important part of all of it is to have integrity and to be working on yourself because if we're con- consistently trying to please everyone around us, we're constantly having to be pleasing everyone around you. But if you're working on yourself and you're doing the real hard, the great work within, I think it doesn't really make a difference whether someone likes it or not as long as you're doing what's true to yourself. Yeah. And then when I do, like, for example, that what happened in that scenario where there was some support and there was positive reinforcement that came my way and I felt it, I'm like, wow, well, I am doing what I have to do. And I wasn't wrong. It wasn't like she said something, hey, who's got my back? And then everyone goes, yeah, he's crazy, my blah, blah, blah. Then if that was the case, I'd be like, wow, well, maybe something that I was doing that mm. wasn't right. But mm. that wasn't the case. No one said anything. So I felt that, all right, well, I'm just going to continue moving on and to keep on growing. I apologize in advance. What's the name of your soon-to-be lovely wife? Tanya. Tanya. I've You should know that. Aren't uh, you going to the wedding? <laughs> <laughs> so I've um, over the years, or over especially over the last year and a half, the last 18 months, I've watched things that you and Tanya have been getting up to, some of your adventures where you Mm -hmm. go on like wilderness camps together Mm -hmm. and your little survival things and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I I envy some of those things that you actually do. I look at it and think that's really cool that you go away and you – do you do it with Tanya or do you – So look, a a lot of the more extreme stuff, I'm I'm out as a lone wolf doing some of that stuff, you know, but she's – um, you know, she loves coming out to nature. We do camping and stuff, but Mm. the more the survival courses and a couple of other things I – um. She's still working up to it. I don't think she, she's still a bit of a city girl at heart, you know, but um, yeah. but she loves nature and she loves coming out with me and I think we complement each other, you mm-hmm. know, and I think I'm getting her out of, you know, she um, she's learning to go to the toilet in the bush and stuff, you know. She's <laughs> wow. getting there. She's, she's getting, getting there. there. So it's yeah. good. It's awesome. Yeah, it's good but, fun. But the point, my I guess my point on that is that you were talking about your ability to work on yourself and I constantly see you doing that, you, you know, like you're evolving um, your body, mind, and spirit all the time. I know you was a very spiritual young guy. You know, you have a Facebook page called Living Light. That's right. You often invite people who are into alternative thinking mm-hmm. to partake in a bit of community work together and a bit of spirituality and a bit of healing and stuff like that that you do together. And I like that. I think that's pretty cool. It's you awesome. Know? It's amazing. It yeah. Yeah. Talk you know, about it. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, look, I guess it kind of ties in with working with the dogs. You know, as soon as I, um, I guess I'll give you a, in a nutshell because it's a very big story, but basically as soon as I started, um, in, you know, interacting with Rocky, there was a lot of paradigm shift that was happening. You know, I I was operating from a very Christian mindset that humans go to heaven and animals aren't special and all that sort of stuff and having this connection with this dog that changed my life and did so much for me and, and he, what was he doing? He was just being himself, you know, and mm-hmm. I started to have experiences and I think, I guess it all started when I kept on seeing 11-11 everywhere and I know that I never knew that that was a thing until I started researching. My God, like I see 11-11 like every freaking day. It's intense. And you, I, um, you didn't turn into Jim Carrey, did you? And I did not. Like, start scribbling it all over your body. And I, didn't, walls I didn't go too crazy. I've, I've, <laughs> stepped, I've stayed grounded, which is important. Well, but his was a number 23, I think. That's right. Yeah, yeah it was. That's right. And um, I just typed in on Google, hey, I always seeing the same time and they'll come up and I'm like, so something's happening. So I was open to knowing that, well, look, if I got my dog to help me, then I think I was on, on a path of, you know, some sort of self-discovery. And I guess one thing led to another. There was a piece of the puzzle that were coming together. I guess it was 
I guess we're, we're all spiritual beings having a human experience, you know, like we, we are all energy in a, in matter of form by a body. And Which can I just point out, science. I didn't know you're into any of this and I <laughs> just want to point out how right I was calling you an urban hippie. Before you, prior to you saying that, mm. I was going to say, when we were talking about Panos's personality, I was going to say he's like a hippie. Yeah. And you, you picked it perfectly well when you said he's like an urban hippie. So when you, know, you say 11-11, like, you're talking the time. The time, it, it got to a point where, like I was seeing the time all the time, it was crazy. But then there was like a photo of me and the boys up at Surface. We took a photo with this, like with the rental car behind us. And the number plate, all the numbers were blocked out except for X1. I swear to God, I got the, phone, uh, the photo on my phone. It's just intense all... Got to a point where I was working at Dalton House doing reception stuff and was walking, there was this guy that I just met. We were like taking things into the kitchen. He just turns around, looks at me, goes, magic number 11. Like, I'm, not, I'm not fucking around. He said that. My mate's on the phone, hands-free. He's like, what the hell? I'm like, why would you say that? He goes, oh, 11 cups and we're like done for the day. I'm like, something's happening. Whatever it is, I don't know. It's a great mystery. I'm not going to claim like I know anything, but I know that whether someone's looking out, whether it's us that are looking at ourselves from another point, hey, I'm open to whatever, you know, and I think um, there was a lot of experiences that were happening and I think um, from then anyway, I guess I, because when you leave yourself open with an open mind, open heart, opportunities come your way and I think there's always opportunities around us mm. but if we're not aware of it, well, then how do you know to take it? Mm-hmm. So well, There's a good, another good saying that says, and I may have said this before at some stage, but a mind is like a parachute. It mm-hmm. works best when it's open. I love that one. It is, good. It, it is a great It is a great saying. It's one of my all-time favourites. When it was told to me, it, it just made sense about things. And I start every NDTF student block off mm-hmm. saying that quote. I remember. Yeah, well, <laughs> I said it to your block and I have in every pretty much class that I've ever taken because I think that it summarises us as a all-encompassing animal training body that's mm-hmm. looking not to do things that, or not to use tools or, or training methodologies or ideas just for our pleasure and, and the suffering of dogs. We're actually doing it because we're trying to find this complete lifestyle that right. works. A harmony. A well, har- like, yeah, it is a harmony, right. Well, like since working with dogs, like I thought, all right, we have a dog. Now we know that exercising the dog's important. We know training the dog's important. There's so many things that we need to tick off the boxes and basically we need to fulfill the mind and the body. Now, if I have to do that for my dog so then he can stop being a crazy asshole when he's out in the street and all this sort of stuff, then I thought, well, why not doing it with myself? Like, why aren't I exercising the body and the mind and working on, you know, meditation, st- keeping still and all that sort of um, elements I started to adapt with him, adopt into my own life. And, well, since then, basically, um, I've met through a good friend of mine, um, a Native American shaman, and he teaches a lot of his people's ways and, you know, we do sweat lodge and all that sort of traditional sort of stuff, which is really cool. And I'm also, you know, a martial artist. And from that perspective, I also love going out bush and being in nature, being with the dogs and everything that I do has been complementing each other and it's constantly building. And I think from having this journey with helping dogs, you know, I'm not just, I feel like I'm not just the dog trainer, but I'm the people trainer. I'm the dog man. I'm, I'm, I'm when people ask me, what do you do? It's like, well, you, I can't identify myself as just being the dog trainer. What do I do for money? I try to keep open slate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if I can do the best at, to my ability of helping others and helping myself, well, then that's basically what the journey is all about, you know, and if we can constantly be growing, then, because there was a time where I was into all the conspiracies, like, my gosh, you know what's happening <laughs> and all that's happening, and it got to a point where I was actually depressed yeah, about yeah. thinking about all this shit, like, 
But I got to an, and then which led me to another point was going, well, then the best thing that I can do is the best person that I can be. Mm-hmm. And if I'm the best person I can be and I can affect people around me and they can affect people around them, then I don't have to talk about all the crazy conspiracies. But if we're working genuinely on ourselves, well, then all those other things will come to light. We mm-hmm. see it, we change it. Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, mm-hmm. refers to having two circles in your life, mm-hmm. the circle of influence in the circle of control Mm -hmm. and he often says you know work more in your circle of influence things that you can change i don't know why we do and i look i'm the same panos i I spent far too many times worrying about things that i can't affect change in i think if there's enough of you one of the things that often i struggle to understand is when we've got a government in anything doesn't matter if it's local state federal or anything if they're so poor why are we so powerless to rip them, not rip them out of their seats and say, you can leave tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Like, you, I'm not going to wait four years and suffer your incredible poor performance. You can leave tomorrow. Like, I think in, in Hungary or one of the European countries, they take them outside and throw them in a rubbish bin. Wow. Like, they drag them off the steps of parliament yeah, and actually yeah. throw them in a bin because they're trash. Mm-hmm. They're, doing su- they're corrupt. They're doing such a terrible job. I don't, I'm not saying that he is hungry. I'm just saying it's one of those countries. But we can put a clip up of that happening because it's quite funny. I used to be almost consumed by thinking about things like that mm-hmm. to a point where it, you're right, it was. It was depressing me as well. I just thought, why am I spending so much time thinking about this because I can't influence this. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no control over anything that's going on here whatsoever. So it's not to say that I still don't of spend, spend times <laughs> on things. That I should, but I spend far less. That's right. Which is the point I'm trying to make. I spend far less. When I watch people succeeding at things, when they're doing really well in life, that's one of the things and one of the areas that I think they've really transgressed through is that they are paying more attention to the things that matter mm-hmm. and the things that they can influence and have control over. Mm-hmm. And one of my, when we're talking about beliefs, one of my beliefs in who are the best dog trainers in the world. They're the people who actually, number one, they get their dog out and number two, they understand and they work with what they can influence and control with the dog and they work as a dynamic team together. So they have this fantastic ability simply because they're making it happen. They're not too caught up in things that they can't influence and control. They're actually doing things that they can, Mm -hmm. like working with Gabina. Mm -hmm. Why is she so good at training with dogs? It's because she spends a lot of time doing it. That's right. You know, she doesn't just talk a big game. She she's, she puts a lot of work mm-hmm. in, number one, selecting the right type of dog to do, which is important for people who want precision work in, in ultimately in those type of skills. But then knowing it's like people who just inject themselves with steroids and mm-hmm. expect instant muscles out of it. Mm-hmm. Even though people say, well, they cheated, they took steroids and stuff like that, and they can have that opinion. But the fact is, is it still a person, if they're a giant, it's still a person who cranked weights and spent a lot of time in the gym really working their ass off because they paid attention, they work in muscle groups, they're working the diet. Yes, they took steroids and they grew larger than what they normally would, but that person is like an animal when they're working out. That's actually, you know, it's quite shocking how many people, we're so far off any track, but so far... Uh, people who don't understand that steroids affect recovery. So mm-hmm. they're like, oh, he just injects steroids, he got massive. No, he still has to jack weights every day. It just means all the steroids mean he can and do And do it. everything that you've got to do. Yeah. Yeah. All the steroids mean is he can do it every day. Yeah, like totally. He, he's still motivated to do it every day. Well, like to, um, I wanted to say something before and I forgot was that 
if you if you spend more time in a quiet place within yourself and self-analyzing, working the intellect, working your intuition, then you're able to help somebody and see it from a different perspective rather than get caught up with, like, for example, one of my clients, she, um, they, like, never leave the house because of the dog. The dog will get upset, anxious, he barks, we've got to leave it in the house, but it destroys the door and all these sort of issues. Mm-hmm. One trainer went there and said that you've got to ignore your dog for a month and only feed it so it can, like, I don't know, craziness. So they were stuck. They didn't know what to do and then... Anyway, around a walk and it gave us an opportunity to just talk. I don't know. We decided, wow, look at this and look at that. And I just try to try to connect with people because I do enjoy human company mm. and we like to have a conversation. And it got to a point where if you ask the right questions, everyone's got their own answer to their own problems. And I don't know these people from a bar of soap. I just know that their dog's a little bit crazy. So uh, it got to a point where I figured out that both the sons moved out of home you know, I'm um, now mum, like, I don't think she works that often. She misses the kids. So she put all that energy into the dog. And then because of that, the dog didn't know how to be. She kept on reinforcing the wrong behaviors. And it got to a point where I was asking these questions. She was telling me, I didn't say nothing. I'm not even going to pretend to be a counselor, but it got to a point where she's like, whoa, she had that aha moment where she gone, <laughs> not just, oh, it's me, but it's me because not because of what I do, but how I do it, how I think about myself and the lack of work that she's done on herself because we're so caught up paying bills and catching up with the Joneses that we forget to work on ourselves. And because of that, it won't just come out through our dog, but it'll come out with the relationships we have with people, mm. with the things that happen to us, with the lack of and the, and the things that we have, the addictions we have and the dependencies we, we put onto things. So there's so much going on that we are so busy that we don't actually see it unless you take a step back or you've got someone asking the right questions and it's a real hard thing because I want to talk, but the best way to be understood is to, to, is to understand, basically, and mm. to see from that perspective, and it's really cool. This is why we wanted to have Birdie such an important part of our podcast as regular as we could because I think so many dog trainers, especially in-home type people like us, are just really unqualified psychiatrists, mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> psychologists, yeah. because it's almost always some sort of problem like that with the person. Mm-hmm. and. You're a dog trainer, but it's 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 rarely an issue of the the dog doesn't need the training. It's the people that need to change their whole lifestyle. Yep. It's, there's something wrong with your life fundamentally that has got you to the point where your dog is causing all these problems. Mm-hmm. So rare that it's like, okay, this dog's a psychopath. We have to That's do something it. about that. It's just you're reinforcing these things, yep. or you're projecting this onto the dog. And For sure. I had one client. Um, she told me that the dog had anxiety and all these sorts of things, and it was always around the doorbell. Same deal as we just said before, it was a rescue that for months was fine and now has all these huge issues, can't leave the house. This is a very similar sort of story. And I wanted to see it. When they ring the doorbell, the dog would go ballistic, right? And I asked them, I say, look, like, let's go in the house, we'll set it all up and then I've got someone with me that's going to ring the bell when we're not expecting anything, right? I don't mm-hmm. want to queue for the dog, we're just sitting around, the bell goes off. And the woman looks straight at the dog when the bell goes off and she goes into a panic mm-hmm. and the dog goes, oh, it's panic time, right? That's and right. And I said, There's not, the dog has no anxiety. Like, do you, I said, do you have any anxiety? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got all these anxiety <laughs> issues. And I said, well, you just taught your dog to reflect it. There you go. And, yep. and without her cueing the dog into it, it, it wasn't there. It, it wasn't, there was, the dog was 100% feeding off of her. Mm. And I, I gave them some training tips for the dog and some things they can do. Uh, but I was like, this is a you issue. Mm-hmm. And as much as I can do as a dog trainer, tell you not to be so anxious. Like this is way outside yeah. of my scope of, of For sure. training, right? Totally. It's, it's a tough one because that's really what we are. 100%. It's- Look, like a little thing that I say to my people, or to my clients is that I teach dogs to live in our society, but dogs teach us to live in the now. 
you know, nice. and dogs are constantly in the moment, you know, mm. and we're thinking about everything else except for what's going on. And as much as we want our dog to be appropriate within our world, we need ourselves to just be here. And because what's happening is right now. That, that meme picture where the, you've got a person and a dog looking at the horizon and the person's thinking about paying taxes and, mm. you know, like That's a what's for dinner and blah, 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 and the dog's just thinking about sitting on the horizon with his, with his owner, right. you yeah. know, like he's in the now. Yeah. Uh, I love that picture. I think it summarises how screwed up our, our thinking has gotten. Yeah. And my boss Dave and I, we talk about this on a regular basis about how life was much more simplified in like the 70s and so forth. Yeah, I mean, look, I think everybody reflects back on their early years, but it was. It was more community-based. People did actually hang out with each other more, you know. A lot of neighbourhood parents were around each other's house having fondue and listening to the Bee Gees and all that sort of stuff, and the kids used to play cricket in the court together. You just don't see – well, maybe, maybe it still goes on, but I don't see a lot of community like that anymore, and I think that technology is – to some degree, damaged our way to respect each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been in my house. I live in a row of townhouses, five townhouses, and neighbours have come and go. I've been there nearly 11 years. And at the moment, we've got an awesome crew in there. So we've got the, we've got great neighbours and we're always over at each other's places and we've all got kids about the same age, so the kids are just sort of back and forth. And we've that's new. It's only been a good crew of people for about 18 months and that is – changed our lives so much having that exactly as you said like that community of the neighbors kids are over at our house and ours is at their place and you really you're having dinner with people all the time and you just you know you realize you're still at their house and it's dinner time and they just feed you and you do the same and we didn't have that before there it was yeah. we had terrible neighbors but now it's fantastic and you just cannot put a price on that. It's it's. Jeez, it's I hope Pat's former neighbours aren't listening to the podcast. <laughs> oh, mate, from their meth lab, wherever it is. It, oh, yeah. It was terrible. We, we yeah, went through a really difficult bad. time. It was it well, was horrible. Yeah. And they we could they couldn't be kicked out. It was a disaster. It was, oh, you know, it's a long story. But now they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the best. Now you've gone, you've got neighbours that you can just rock up and, and, and say, hey, cook wait, dinner. If you wait long enough, they start yeah. serving you. Cooking yeah. dinner. But it's fantastic. And you can't... You, like that sense of community that you're saying is not around and we didn't have it and now we do and I'm so thankful for it. Oh, I'm constantly saying to these guys, I'm like, man, it's so good. For sure. Living mm. in that well, like I've lived where I live now for the last maybe three years. Like I swear like I know like maybe 75% of the street. I'm always waving. They're waving to me. We're talking about random stuff. And there was one of my clients, I'm teaching her how to like walk a dog out of the street and we took her to this little park. She goes, oh, I've lived here 28 years and I haven't seen this park. I'm like, <laughs> the park is three blocks from our house, wow. first of all. All right. Second of all, how about you get out and about rather than driving to the driveway, getting inside? Yeah. I know we live busy lives, but maybe we should do less so we can get more out of it. And as I said, you know, we've got this thing right here, you know, we can blame the dog for jumping up and barking at everyone. How about we start interacting and not only, you know, just exercising and doing training and all that sort of stuff, but because we're so caught up in this such a busy, like, you know, hustle and bustle sort of lifestyle, that rat race sort of idea, we, um, we're not actually living. We're living for something else rather than living for ourselves. And it's, it's pretty cool that we have technology that we can spread around. Like right now, this conversation, like heaps of people are going to listen to it. They mm. may learn something, you know, and then there's also the other side where we get so dependent on it that, you know, people get anxiety because they haven't got their phone next to them, you know, and where is the balance and how are we going to find that fine line of balance and, you know, people say, you go out to nature. No, no, we always live in nature because we live on the earth. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, we've separated ourselves from what's normal and we live in this artificial world and it's, 
it's um it's I guess I don't know what the answer is. You know, it's sad. It's it's exciting, but it you know we just need to find a balance. To I, it. I have. Uh, a meme anxiety. If I don't get to meme something at some stage, I get anxiety, which reminds me of a meme. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many memes. There's I'm so have to, many I, memes. That's my job to look all these things up <laughs> later and try and find them and then post them. Pat, Pat and I have got this thing going where we just like almost constantly meme each other over things. But um, there, there was a meme that I put up on my own page a while ago where it's got a an old picture of this guy with a startled look on his face, like it's an old Shakespearean type picture, and it's going that look you have when you can't find your phone. <laughs> and it's like the guy's just like stunned. <laughs> He's got this this shot look. But, um, you know, that goes off what you were just talking about before when you were saying that you get this anxiety. And I, oh, geez, I've experienced that myself. Where I've left the house, I'm in the car, I'm driving up the street, and I tap my side or look in my console and think, shit, I've lost my phone. You know, and then you like you've, you, you might be late getting somewhere, but you then turn your car around, have to be even later than what you're going to be because you've got to go running through the house and go, where's my fucking phone? <laughs> well, and, it's you true. know, we're a dog podcast, so we can bring it back to that. I think a lot of the, the good way out of that cycle is having a dog that demands your time. And That's right. He, he forces you to interact with him and he, to treat him well, he's got to go out, he's got to be exercised, you know, body and mind. And that to have a dog happy and healthy, you have to – come back to that real world and spend time with the dog and mm-hmm. go out. And the, the amount of people that like, I have good friends in my area that are like we call, they, when people say, oh, how do you know this guy? I say, oh, he's a dog park friend. Like mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. know him because we work on a roughly similar schedule and mm-hmm. so we're walking our dogs at the same time and yep. you just, you, you can't stand in the park while your dogs are playing and mm-hmm. not talk to each other and of you course. have all these friends in the yep. area that yep. you really only know because your dog takes you out. It's such a social thing. There's very few people in my life now that are important to me that I haven't met through dogs. Yeah. You know, I've got, uh, well, I've got motorbike buddies and dog buddies mm-hmm. uh, and some of those even cross over into into both realms. But a, a lot of the people who are, that I consider family are through the dog industry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's amazing, amazing industry and amazing where it takes you. Well, we did it. We brought it back around to dogs. We did. 100%. <laughs> well, like I tell people, like people say, oh, I haven't got enough time. I bet you we always find time for the things that we love to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. we found time for this interview. Well, there you Even go. Even though it was right at the end of a seminar. 100%. Um, we still found time to do it. And to be honest, I, you know, I know we have twisted and turned and went all over the place with this conversation, but I really enjoyed it. It's a fun Me talk. Too. It was a fun talk. And, you know, I'm just looking at the time on the software here and wow. it's like, yeah, it's, we've gone almost a full hour and a half. Wow. I'm chatting. Time flies. It does fly because um, I, make, I was actually having fun talking about a lot of different subjects. Well, but halfway through, we're going to meet a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> In three hours. But i got to get out of here because i got to go on Google 1111 and find out what right. comes up. There you go. Well, we've actually got to go and train some dogs. Yeah, so. we do, yeah. Well, I've got to drive all the way back home so, yeah, and walk my a, doggies. That's right. You've got a big drive back home. But, mate, so, uh, thank you very much for making the time and also uh, hope you enjoyed the seminar. Oh, it was amazing. It was really good. Yeah, definitely. So Nutris Pooches, how can people get in contact with you? So www.nutrispooches, N-O-O-C-H-S-P-O-O-C-H-E-S.com.au or on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and all of yeah. the, all the good things. And you do in-home behaviour, obedience training, survival camps. Survival camps, yeah. We'll head out <laughs> into the wilderness and shoot some bow and arrows. 
yeah, that, so that, that they make out of sticks they find in the wilderness. That's right, yeah. Mm. Man, survival courses are real, real fun. Mm. But we'll, we'll anyway, we'll back them, onto we'll, the dog stuff. We'll give them a plug later, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but like, um, yeah, so just find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our website as well. And leave and him a good in, review. And you're in, Thank you. like, southern Sydney, right? Yeah, so um, St. George area is where I live, and we service uh, mostly um, southern Shire, St. George area, you know, and basically anywhere around there. Perfect. Sometimes the east, inner west, whatever, you know, and... And you went too far, then I'll refer you to you guys. And I can highly recommend him too. I've seen his work. I know he's an ethical guy in body, mind and soul and uh, produces great results with the dog. So, perfect. Yeah, it's a big tick from me. Well, Panels. I really, really appreciate you guys. I'm asking me to come on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. It's great to have you, buddy. Thank you very much. All right, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. Uh, as always, if you like what you're hearing, jump on to whichever subscription service you're downloading us through and leave us a review. Doing that helps us get in contact with people that we can't just harass on Facebook and say, hey, listen to our podcast. And if you've got some feedback for us, if you want to ask any questions, send us anything, the best way to do that is to get in contact with us on Facebook, the Canine Paradigm. You, we can, always, leave a, you can leave an interesting meme if, yeah, if you want to. Shoot <laughs> us a meme if you're bored. If you see any good ones, um, we just like to add them to the file. And definitely as you're listening to the podcast, you'll see what, you know, we name this episode. There'll be a corresponding album and you can jump on there and have a look at the photos. Anything we've talked about during this will be in there if I can manage to find all the memes. But certainly we'll have that photo that Panos talked about at the start of Rocky yep. that got him into dogs. That's it from us. Glenn, music please. Epic.